light and there was light. And we believe that you continue to speak today in the present. Speak to us, O oh God, as we're gathered here uh, through music and prayer, through the sacrament of baptism, through the sermon, through the silence, in the cry of a baby. Help us to listen. Amen. We continue each week uh, through Lent to um, dig deeper into the faces of Christ, what we can learn about God uh, through these sacred texts, the scripture, the, how it speaks to us today. There's a lot of ways you can, all of this scripture, you can look at it going, you know, what do we do or what should we do or who are we? But really, really the first, our first job is to go, what does this tell us about God, right? Because when we discover something about God, when we let Jesus teach us about something about God, then it's almost like we become who we worship. We become the kind of God that we, we take on those characteristics. And God's light shines through us. And this very popular, very well-known story is no different. Makes me think about leaving home for the first time. Do you remember that? I do. I remember packing up the brown Buick heading up to Mississippi State University. Everything in the trunk, everything in the back seat. My grandparents and my dad. And there, there I was waving them goodbye, heading off. And I thought it was so cool to have all this freedom now. No more curfews. No more answering to anybody. This was going to be great. I thought I was real independent, you know, as like I could order anything I could, wanted to at the cafeteria, even though I was still putting it on a conveyor belt for somebody else to clean up, right? I thought I was all grown up. But, you know, leaving home today is a lot different than it was back in the old days in 1988, right? So we take Susanna to, to college. And uh, let me tell you, now when people leave home, I mean, you got to have, it, I thought we were leaving like a mansion in that little room. We spent, I cried as I left. Part of it was because I didn't know how I was going to pay the bill for all this stuff in this room. And then state gave me a bill. That wasn't too pleasant. Um, what was it like? What was it like when you left home? There's a story in the book of Joshua about when the um, Israelites finally got off the dole, you know, got off the free manna in the wilderness. And they're right there on the border of Canaan and they get to go in uh, there. And it's actually part of the lectionary. And I was wondering, why is this Old Testament part of the Luke 15 story? But I think I've got a good guess. Uh, and this is my best guess. When they got there... It says this in the scripture uh, in Joshua 5. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day that they ate the produce of the land. And the Israelites no longer had manna. They ate the crops of the land of Canaan that year. In other words, nobody's going to be paying their bills they were going to have to start living the land. They had finally set out. When my sister got married to my brother-in-law, Liz got married to Barry. And Barry's a great guy and he's like a brother to me. 
I remember my dad coming up to Barry saying, congratulations, Barry. Here are the rest of the coupon books for the car that you're going to have to pay off, right? there, There comes some responsibility, and adulting is not easy. Well, there's something like making the transition from a life where manna miraculously appeared on the ground. Um, When you go out on the horizon, mom's cooking isn't going to always be there. You're going to have to pay the bills. You're going to have to maintain the buildings. There's some responsibility there. There's a great picture of Norman Rockwell about leaving home. Do you have that, Jason? Norman Rockwell's picture. Y'all ever seen that one? It's called Breaking Ties with Home. Check that out. Not quite like they do it today in college, right? There he is, hanging out. I noticed that the dad has two hats. I guess one belongs to his son, and the other belongs to him. There's there's his son sitting on the car there with a lunch bag there with his uh, luggage and some books. And he's looking out on the horizon Dreaming about what life will be when he's finally on his own. Even if you never move away from home physically, some may not. You may never leave the property. But there's something, psychologists tell us that there's something about the inner process of leaving home which has to take place in healthy human development. We Westerners, we Americans... We love the idea of leaving home. In fact, if you're not Native American, that means somebody in your family rolled the dice and dreamed about this newfound land that they were going to make something of themselves and chase what we call the American dream. Now, I guess you can hear the parable in that light. It wouldn't be a wrong way to do it, but there's way more than just leaving home in this story that Jesus tells. The prodigal son, if you looked at it from that angle, might be sort of the failed version of somebody who took off, had big dreams, was going to move up the corporate ladder, and everything just kind of collapsed on top of him. It's a big part of what's going on in in the parable, but there's more. And there's especially more to Jesus' audience. They would have heard it a little bit differently, living in a traditional society that valued the community over the individual way, over the uh, power of the individuals. What we look at for the parable is affected by what we've come uh, to call it. Some people call it the parable of the prodigal uh, son, right? But notice Jesus says a man, there was a man who had two sons. There was once a man. If Jesus were to give his own parable a title in your Bible, it might not be the prodigal son. It might be the father and two sons or the prodigal family or maybe better yet, the dysfunctional family. The occasion for the, the, occasion for the parable is that these tax collectors uh, and these religious folk were really getting offended by the people Jesus was hanging out with. They were grumbling because all these stories that Jesus was telling was attracting All the riffraff and the people who were unclean and they didn't want to hang out with. Um, And so, Jesus tells this story, this parable, to teach these folks about how big God's circle is. And about the fact, just like Lindsay said, that there's enough to go around for all. Kenneth Bailey um, 
to kind of think about this in the ancient mind. Kenneth Bailey talks about his part of the parable, this part of the parable, and he says this, uh, this author does. He says, for over 15 years, I've been asking people of all walks of life from Morocco to India and from Turkey to the Sudan about the implications of a son's request for his inheritance while the father is still living. He goes on to say, the answer has always been emphatically the same. The conversation runs as follows. Has anyone ever made such a request in your village? Never. Could anyone ever make such a request? Impossible. If anyone ever did, what would happen? The father would disown the son. Younger son. Dad, I want my inheritance. That would be one-third of the inheritance. And the father does something radical. The father gives it to him. He doesn't say, no, you're going to wait. You're going to stay here. But the father lets the son take the inheritance and go. The son heads out and to the far city, uh, to the far country, and uh, wastes all the money, is prodigal with all the money, all of a sudden it gets to this, the, the, the nadir, the, the low point of the story where he is like envious of what the pigs are eating because the famine came and there's nothing to eat. And he said, man, I just wish I could have the pigs or maybe I could go back and be a mere slave to my dad. I'd probably be in better shape. The older son... He runs away from home but never leaves the property. And sometimes we can do that. There's a little prodigal kind of stuff in his uh, attitude as well. He, he never left home. He might have felt like he was obliged as the older son, as some older children feel like they're obliged to do. He may have never made an outward or inward, inward journey of leaving home. But, but his journey was one of like, I deserve this. The cows will not milk themselves. Somebody's got to do it. I've got to be the responsible one. And he gets so angry and so mad at his father and his family for why in the world did, did you just give, give it away? We needed our brother. For any of us, and I'm including myself, who've been in the church all our life, sometimes it's dangerous to be the older son. Sometimes we come and we worship and, 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 and we give and, and, and we, we try to build up that Sunday school class or we do this or do that. And sometimes we feel like, man, nobody's throwing a party for me. And I'm doing this week in and week out. And we forget what it's like to leave and to lose the church and to come back. And we can almost be among the most lost and the most homeless, those of us, each week. we got to watch it. T.S. Eliot said this, he wrote this, We shall not cease from exploration, and at the end of all of our exploring, we'll be to arrive where we started and to know the place for the first time. It's not clear, if you look at the story, to know when the younger son converted or had a change of heart. You know, he, he, he's in the pigsty and he comes to his senses and he says, gosh, I had it a lot better at home. And he starts memorizing a speech, you know, 
Forgive me, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. And if I would be just a slave, I would appreciate that. Yada, yada, right? It could be that he had a change of heart. It could be that he was trying to manipulate his dad again to get right back into good graces. And he heads on back. It's not clear what his motives are, but it's a little more clear what the attitude of the father Father is there keeping vigil on the porch every night, looking at the horizon, looking for his son, waiting for an image in the fields for the son to be coming back. And so the son walking up, the father does not wait for the son. The father does something that no self-respecting father in the Near East would do. He hitches up his robe and he sprints. No old man would do that. And there he goes, says Jesus. And so the son is there and he's, he's got his speech memorized and he's ready to go. And Father, forgive me for I have sinned and um, I'm be glad to be. Uh, the father interrupts the son, doesn't even, doesn't even care about the confession, doesn't even listen to the whole confession and says, quick, let's throw a party. And he gets a robe and a ring and sandals. That's the face of Christ. It's the face of God who does not wait until we get our confession right. We don't share a confession and get love from God. We get love from God and we get to confess a God who loves us. A God who doesn't look like an old patriarch trying to do the right thing, but does the radical thing and includes the son. Last thing we hear from the younger son is him getting interrupted, right? He begins his planned out speech and confession and the father doesn't want to hear it. Let's throw a party. Being embraced by the loving parent is such a beautiful picture of God. It's it's what we always pray for Lewis and for Beckett and for all of us, that love is the prevailing thing, that they know every day, no matter what, on good days and bad days, that they are loved unconditionally, by us and by God. We don't confess in order to get embraced. We are embraced. We are celebrated. We are rejoiced over and honored in order that we may begin to find our confession, our true confession. The experience of the two sons, those words of T.S. Eliot, we shall not cease from exploration. And at the end of all of our exploring will be to arrive where we started and know the place for the first time, to point toward a full picture of this process of leaving home and coming back. You might feel like you're the older son and you've left in some ways internal. Maybe you're so glued to resentment and anger. Maybe you're comparing your life to others. Maybe something's going on and God is doing what most fathers wouldn't do. Just come and plead for you to come in. The party has started. You're invited. Everything I have is yours. Come on in. Or you may feel like you've gone to the far country and you've wasted so much in your life. And the father says, don't worry. I don't need your words. I want you. And I want you to come in. We're going to kill the fatted calf. You know what I love about this story? It reminds me of this. You and I, we, we're not defined by what we've done. 
We're defined by what God has done. That is on your best day. That is on your worst day. The father never forces the prodigal son to stay when he wants to leave. And he doesn't force the other son in when he wants to sulk. Grace is never forced on any of us. But Jesus will wait as long as it takes. I spent four years in Alaska, Wasilla, Alaska. And you talk about some really interesting people at that church. Little bitty tiny church. I got to preach in my hiking boots. It was so much fun. They were from all over the place. There were retired military. There were oil people. There were uh, tourism folks and they were there and And they were a cantankerous bunch. And they would tell you exactly what's on their mind. Every Wednesday morning at about 9.30, we would get together and have Bible study. And we were covering Luke 15. And there was this one woman. She always let me know exactly what she thought. And after after we read this, she said, I hate this parable. I do not like this parable. I don't like that younger son getting away with it. And I told her, I said, you know what? You've paid attention to the story. I think we all sometimes don't like this story. And I don't know what it is, but other people getting grace or a second chance that sometimes pulls us into that, I've tended the land and I've milked the cows and what have you done for me and my friends? But even to that, God says, Come home. Come home. The dictionary definition of prodigal is exceedingly or recklessly wasteful, extremely generous, lavish, and extremely abundant, profuse. With this definition, it would appear that the most prodigal character of all is the father on the porch who went against all norms and hitched up his robe and grabbed his son's neck on the horizon and who pleaded with his defiant son that he was welcome to. As we march toward the cross, Jesus doesn't just tell the story, but he lives it in the most unusual and humiliating way. On a cross, Jesus says again, come home you and I get to act out the ending of this story it's an unfinished story can you overcome whatever it is you got to get over and join the party of the undeserved can you forgive yourself if you feel like you don't deserve it because I can tell you the good news is that God has already forgiven you. It still is like coming home again for the first time. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus, who tells really odd stories to remind us that your grace is radical and never-ending. Help us, oh God, and forgive us when we're like those religious leaders who look down our nose at your friends. Help us, oh God, to come on into the party 
to celebrate your forgiveness and to know that this is what your kingdom is all about. In your precious name we pray. Amen.